listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire broadcasting to you from the United States of America in Southern California. And we uh, have entered a, a, an, epic, an epic month in the history of humanity and the history of civilization. There are so many factors that are coming together with a, it's not a fatalistic uh, synergy. It's a, it's a synergy that contains the awareness that each of us as individuals has a very important role to play. Nobody gets to sit out in the bleachers for this uh, game, whether it's baseball, football, or whatever. Nobody has the option of sitting out because, you see, you were created here. I don't care what religion you belong to or even if you belong to a non-religion like secular humanism. The fact of the matter is that you were created to be here for such a time as this, this particular time zone, and that he knew you before the foundation or the creation of the world. And he called you to be here for such a time as this. So, in other words, the Creator God, capital C, created this time and space. And it's not an accident that you just happen to be born into this particular time and space zone. That's not happen chance. That's not an accident. That's not luck. That's not fatalism. That's not the roll of the dice or whatever you want to call it. It is what it is overwhelmingly. It overwhelmingly establishes this fact. And you should embrace this fact. And it's to your detriment if you don't embrace the fact, if you reject this fact out of ignorance or bowing to the the gods of our age. And some of the biggest idols of our age is this perverse desire to be accepted by everybody to have a brand name, to uh, <clears throat> be acclaimed by your fellow man. It's a, that, that whole drama that people carry within them, and I've met big-time Christian leaders who, who have succumbed to the seduction of that drama, and it's a, it's a complete illusion. Let me be really blunt to you, okay? And if the words are a little bit salty, then just ride with it. You know, when I speak from my heart, I can't sit here and worry about uh, if this word may be offensive or not. I do the best that I can to tailor my speech uh, in anticipation of what particular audience may be listening, Uh, because I think that as a minister, as a spokesperson, as a leader, as a broadcaster, I have a responsibility uh, on all kinds of levels, and the primary responsibility is to tell the truth. So it is imperative to understand this basic fact about reality. And the basic fact about reality is, is that every single one of us was born into this particular time zone at this particular time, because every single one of us has a special mission, a special purpose, a special destiny to fulfill. And this destiny, this purpose that we have to fulfill comes from way beyond the dimensions of time and space. You see, every one of us, whether you're religious or not, you are a child of destiny. 
and you have a divine purpose to fulfill. And the question always is, the universe always asks you, and by the way, I'm intentionally using the word the universe always asks you, because that's the the vocabulary of, of our society right now. But do I believe that the universe, in the sense of, of some kind of abstract energy force, the universe in the sense of some kind of cosmic consciousness, or the universe in terms of some kind of non-personal deity, that's asking you something? I certainly don't believe that. One of the most powerful spiritual revelations that I received after I was miracul- after my life was miraculously changed, fleeing from a Christian religious retreat about an outside about an hour outside of the University of Missouri. Uh, I was I was invited there. Don't ask me why I went there because I don't know to this day, except to say that God God lined up the arrangements. So this guy invites me to this denominational Christian religious retreat about an hour outside of the campus of the University of Missouri. When I get there, it's my first, like, official investigation into, quote, evangelical Christianity, or what is called Bible-believing Christianity. And when I get there, it's like getting punched in the face a couple of times, hard. And I, I encounter... The, the reaction I encounter with the force of being punched in the face. Because what I am seeing here, what I'm experiencing here, confirms literally an itemized list of my worst nightmares and what my worst uh, imaginations might be concerning potentially what evangelical Christianity might be or could be. In other words, every secret fear that I had that evangelical Christianity uh, would be like getting uh, a reservation on the Titanic. Well, for me, it turned out to be true. Okay, I got there. It confirmed my worst uh, projections of what denominational Christianity might be. First of all, first of all, when I got there. It was sponsored by some big—I'm not going to name the denomination. I, I, fig, I think I figured it out over the years. It was a big denomination that claimed to be Bible-believing. When I got there and talked to—it was a bunch of male students and female students who were getting together, allegedly—this is why I was invited—to to, to, as, as male and female Christians in, in the college age category, they were gathering together at this, like, remote— retreat center for like, you know, fun, laughs, games, and uh, uh, discussions and questions, and hopefully giving answers about biblical Christianity. But when I got there, that's not what I saw. What I saw was repulsive. And I have no problem, you know, having fun. I, I, the one thing that Paul McGuire did not have a problem with back then, and I don't have it today, it's that I didn't have a problem having fun back then, nor do I have a problem having fun today. Why? Number one is I don't take myself that seriously. Number two, I have a sense of humor, and so I'm able to laugh at what a lot of people can't laugh at, including myself, my own uh, idiosyncrasies, etc. You know, the day you take yourself too seriously is probably the day uh, you stop being of any potential use to God. Because 
I remember uh, a famous Bible teacher. Uh, many of you will know his name, David Hawking, who was a good friend of mine, and we ministered together for oh a considerable season of my life. He was a regular guest on the Paul McGuire show. We spoke in similar circles at Calvary Chapel. I spoke at various big Calvary Chapel conferences with Pastor Chuck Smith and uh, other big uh, Calvary Chapel pastors. Uh, and. Uh, um so in in that in that period I got to know him and a lot of the Calvary Chapel people and I'm leaving out names and I I apologize for that but I if I get into this thing about having to name names I'm going to inevitably leave out important names so just forgive me in advance. So um he was t- d- d- David Hawking was telling me a story when he went to KBRT where which was where the physical studio was at that time for the Paul McGuire show. And he was telling me stories about this great Bible teacher who was at the same time very human and very real. His name was, uh, what was his name for crying out loud? I'm having a mental blank. He, he was, oh, Dr. Uh, Vernon uh, McGee. I think it was Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, one thing I found out about him, he was like the fundamentalist fundamentalist. And I agreed with a lot of the things he, he said and still do. But not everything, but a lot of what he says. You know, he's going on to be with the Lord. But what was interesting about Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and they told me this, and I was really shocked because he was a fundamentalist fundamentalist. Uh, he was a heavy smoker. I mean, a heavy, heavy-duty smoker. Uh, as were a number of other very well-known Christian Bible teachers, evangelical Bible teachers. But he recorded the uh, Bible bus program. So every day of the week, their ministry would air uh, like a 30-minute Bible study recorded by uh, Vernon McGee that, where he would do what's called expository Bible teaching, which means you teach based on a paragraph or a series of sentences in the Bible, and you go, you go passage by passage in the Bible, and you, in, in a year's time, uh, your, your goal, and you meet your goal, uh, in a year's time, you sequentially cover every line and chapter and verse in the Bible when you take it on Vernon McGee's Bible bus. It was a very simple thing, but it was very effective. A lot of people got their Bible study from that. So I was shocked to hear that he was a big smoker because it just didn't, it just didn't fit in. But you know what? When I hear things like that, it has the opposite effect upon me that it does on many people because I didn't look down at Dr. Vernon McGee because he smoked cigarettes. I mean. Anybody with any intelligence knows that cigarettes is not a big priority for God. Now, I already know what people are going to say. How can you say that? People are dying of cancer. My father died of cancer. My mother died of cancer. You're absolutely right. It's a very dangerous habit from a medical point of view, and it allegedly has a high uh, percentage of causing cancer, and allegedly it has taken many, many lives out prematurely. I'm not arguing with that. From a medical standpoint, it's dangerous, and it could very well kill you long before your time. So, so I'm not de-emphasizing that all-important truth, nor am I advocate, advocating cigarette smoking. But the point is, whether you smoke or not, it doesn't determine whether or not you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whether you smoke or not doesn't determine uh, your level of spirituality or your love for Christ. And now we know today, especially if you watch that movie, 
The Inside Man, which my wife and I watched for like the fourth or fifth time in a row just the other day. And in the movie The Inside Man, with Russell Crowe, who, who starred in uh, The Gladiator, and in The Inside Man, uh, there was another famous actor, and I forgot his name. No, no, one guy starred in The Gladiator, and the other guy starred in, in another huge uh, motion picture. And they were two of the biggest actors in the world. So one guy plays a tobacco scientist, and the tobacco company, it's one of the big five tobacco companies or whatever, and he's going to release, he's going to go public with a report, an internal report that he's not supposed to, he signed a non-disclosure agreement, so he's going to go ahead and break that agreement and tell the people of the United States and the world the secret uh, scientific medical research papers that this tobacco company had that proved internally that they were fully aware, allegedly, of the relationship between tobacco and cancer. And it's a gripping film. So what happens is, they, 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 allegedly, they try to kill him. They, they, you know, he ends up on 60 Minutes. Uh, he goes through hell trying to get this truth out. Now, what I'm trying to get at is that uh, I'm not advocating cigarette smoking. But I am saying, when it comes to your salvation or purely spiritual things, it doesn't have an effect. When it comes to cancer and biological things, it has an enormous detrimental effect and is very dangerous. So I hope I made myself clear. So I was shocked to find out that so many of these very respected and well-known evangelical leaders were smokers. And I don't consider myself, I, there, there's not an ounce of Paul McGuire that, that appraises himself as in any way, shape, or form, even microscopically more virtuous than a man or a woman who smokes cigarettes. And if, you have, if you're one of these people who has a secret inner belief system in which you think that you're more spiritual or that you have more fruit of the Spirit uh, just because you don't smoke cigarettes, you don't know the Bible very well. You're not interpreting the Bible properly. So Vernon McGee was a great, great man of God, and God used him in a mighty way, but he smoked cigarettes. And by the way, when you go back into the history of Christianity, many of Christianity's greatest leaders, greatest spokespeople, and greatest ministers throughout history were smokers. Again, I'm not promoting smoking. But, but I see this huge, unnecessary guilt trip laid upon Christian men and women who happen to be smokers as if, you know, they're, they're fornicating with the devil or, you know, the, the, they're fornicating with the Nephilim or the Rephaim or something. Come on, man, really. That's a religious spirit. That's, that's the legalism on steroids. So anyway, David Hawking told me that McGee used to smoke cigarettes before he would give his, uh, tape his program and stuff. So I thought that was interesting. But you see, for me, that, that knowledge strengthened my faith. It didn't hurt my faith. It didn't cause me to stumble. It strengthened my faith. Because when I heard these stories of all these great Christian men and women who had human flaws, just like I did, just like Paul McGuire did, just like you do, um, it set me free. It set me free because there is a huge false Bible teaching. There's a huge false theology that has infected the evangelical church over the last 100 years. 
And that is, it's the same false theology that has attacked the, the, the church since the beginning of time. And, 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 and the unsound doctrine and the false theology always masquerades itself in a similar form. It exalts and it promotes legalism over the truth of the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which declares emphatically that we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man or woman boast. That is, that is why the Bible is called the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news because you're not on some stinking assembly line trying to neurotically work your way to heaven, and you can never quite make it because every time you think you got this sin, that sin, or the other sin under control, something else pops up, okay? And it's been my observation that the Achilles heel of the evangelical church is this. It's a misunderstanding. No, no, no. It's a massive misunderstanding of what the Bible really teaches regarding grace and salvation by faith. So this is how it plays out. Despite the fact that whenever you go into an evangelical Bible-believing church, you're going to hear the mantra, like Om, you're going to hear the mantra about, um, you know, how we believe that we're saved by, uh, uh, we're saved by grace, unmerited favor, and or we're saved by faith in God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, which means, definitively, we are not saved by works, we're not saved by legalism, we're not saved by human performance and human measurement standards. We are saved entirely, 1,000% plus. We are saved entirely by grace, which means unmerited favor. And our righteousness is totally a free gift from God. So we are saved by grace the moment we come to God and ask God to forgive us of our sins. The moment we do that, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin, and no matter what we've done, we, for, we have been forgiven of all sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is activated by our faith. That is activated the moment we choose to receive, as a free gift, salvation by faith or salvation by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this is the foundational principle of true spirituality and true Christianity. When you have a revelation of that in your inner man, it will take the massive, oppressive religious spirit that you've been carrying around your whole life. God will lift that off of your shoulders, that yoke of bondage, that yoke of legalism. God will lift off your shoulders, and with incredible force, he will break it in two. He will break it in two because he's delivering you from the bondage and the slavery that legalism always, always, always brings into a person's life and makes them miserable. You see, trying to earn God's favor through various forms of legalism doesn't energize your faith, doesn't make you more confident in your faith. It's actually a spiritual thief which attempts to rob you of your faith. Why? Why? This is critical for you to understand in terms of knowing this truth from revelation by the Holy Spirit. You can't just know about this truth. You have to own this truth. And the way you own this truth is you buy this truth by faith. Okay? Very important. Nothing more important than this. 
So after traveling all around the world, speaking to men's groups and large churches and small churches and conferences and everything else, I have come up in conversations and and listening to the, 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 the preaching and the content of Christians all over the world and Christians leaders all over the world. And I discovered, quite to my surprise, is that the contemporary evangelical church is inundated. It is infused with a perversion of the true gospel of Jesus Christ in that, despite the fact that there's all this chest beating about how we're saved by by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, the reality is, in our day-to-day walks with Jesus Christ, the reality is we still attempt to be saved by uh, our works, by religious legalism, by uh, keeping a yellow legal pad and writing down meticulously every sin we have ever committed. And so we're constantly chained and paralyzed to the law. Now, that is insane, because the primary thing that Jesus Christ did when he came to the earth was he came with the intended strategy of setting free all believers in Jesus Christ from the bondage and the legalism of trying to be saved or holy by keeping the law of God, which is impossible. Let's get it through our heads. Nobody but nobody can be saved by attempting to live out the law perfectly. The harder you try to live out the law perfectly, the more the probability is you're going to crash and burn and fail. Nobody, nobody, nobody gets saved by legalistically keeping the law. Nobody. That's why Jesus came, and that's why the gospel is called the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason it's called the good news of Jesus Christ is that God sets you free from the bondage the the yoke and chains of spiritual slavery, where the devil tries to trap you into thinking that if you uh, legalistically uh, keep God's law or or, or work your posterior off and trying to be holy through all your your vain attempts at self-effort and self-religious works, that somehow you can earn favor with God, that somehow you can earn favor and get uh, an entrance into the kingdom of God that somehow you can get the favor of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and that somehow you can be saved by earning your salvation. That is the biggest lie in Christendom that there is. It is absolutely impossible, once again, to be saved even remotely by keeping the law of God. Why? Because God tells us in his word, he thunders in his word from Genesis to Revelation, that it is impossible to to earn your salvation, because it's impossible to keep the law of God and to be totally righteous, as what is what God requires of us, because the Bible tells us that all have sinned. That means me, you, and every great Christian there ever was fits into the category of, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so what that means is think of the if you're in a bar, and don't get hung up because I'm using that analogy. If you're in a bar and there's a dartboard and you see the circular dartboard and in the center of the dartboard, if you can land the dart in the center of the dartboard, you're going to get the highest score because you're perfectly hitting the bullseye. The same thing with firing a bow and arrow into the center of the uh, target. If you hit the very center of the target, you are going to 
um, achieve the goal. Now, to whatever microscopic degree you may miss the bullseye, either with the uh, uh, bow and arrow or either with the uh, uh, dartboard, to whatever microscopic degree you are even slightly off from hitting the bullseye or the center of the target, the Bible calls that misfire by the Latin word metanoia. Metanoia means missing the mark. Even if it's just slightly, you miss the mark. And what God says in his word regarding his holiness is that if you're trying to be holy on your own self-effort, to whatever tiny degree you may miss the mark, God views that as the equivalent of totally, totally missing the mark. So if, let's say, you miss the mark by a sixteenth of an inch, you fail to hit the bullseye. That failure is called sin or metanoia. You miss the mark by a sixteenth of an inch. You failed, okay? That failure is called metanoia. Now, if you hit the exact bullseye or target, then you have not committed metanoia. You have, you have perfectly hit the target. But here's the point. Whether you hit the target with the bullseye or not has nothing to do with the subsequent measurement of your uh, spirituality or righteousness or holiness. Just because you manage to legalistically hit the target doesn't mean that you have hit the bullseye spiritually. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because God tells us that nobody, nobody who's ever lived has ever uh, kept all the commandments of God perfectly. That's why we are called fallen creatures. We are fallen creatures because none of us, none of us uh, hits the bullseye perfectly. All of us, 100% of us, have fallen short of the glory or the perfection of righteousness in Christ Jesus. All of us have fallen short. And so, we're, and that is done intentionally and strategically by God, not because God's cruel, but what God is doing is he's manipulating the circumstances of our life in such a way so that he, God engineers events and circumstances which uh, gravely expose to us that we're not hitting the bullseye. We're not hitting the center of the dartboard, or the you know, the arrow is not hitting the center of the where you're supposed to shoot the bow and arrow. You're off, and when you're off, you're not perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. If you're going to use that analogy, now this is critical because the Bible says this is the law of God that all men and all women and all women have fallen short of God's righteousness and God's perfect holiness. So God's law tells us that every man and woman alive, bar none, we have all, we are all fallen creatures. We have all missed the mark of God's perfect holiness. And when we miss the mark of God's perfect holiness, even if it is comparatively to a, a microscopic degree, when we place that our failure to achieve God's perfect holiness, when we place that against the grid 
uh, of what God expects from us, it reveals to us that we, according to God's law, still have a sin nature. We have not perfected our righteousness or our holiness yet. And here's the most important thing. And then finally, in fact, according to the law of God, which is without error, according to the law of God, none of us, absolutely none of us, has lived a perfectly holy and righteous life. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the target one way or, or, or another. And, and so God allows us to come to that painful recognition because in the process, God is forcing us to look into the spiritual mirror, if you will. And when God grabs us by the back of our necks, and forces us to look at ourselves in the light of God's perfect holiness, we have to come face to face with the fact that we have all missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. None of us is perfectly holy or righteousness, or has perfect righteousness, and we have all failed to legalistically keep the law of God, the word of God, the righteousness of God. We've all missed the target which is 100% accuracy. We've all missed it. So the purpose of God rudely confronting us to the reality that we've all missed it is so that through shock, we would have the recognition that it is spiritually impossible, according to the law of God, it is spiritually impossible for any man or woman who has ever lived to be saved, to be born again, to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form by vainly attempting to keep the law of God through legalistic effort. Because all men have sinned, all men have fallen short of keeping the glory of God, and as such, none of us, none of us can earn our way into heaven. No matter how good and self-righteous we may think that we are, none of us qualifies to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's what that's the whole message that God has for us in the gospel. You see, the era of the Pharisees, the era of a massive percentage of contemporary evangelical and Bible-believing Christians, they, they have the same era. All of these groups that proclaim the Bible are attempting to enter the kingdom of heaven. They're attempting to uh, achieve holiness by legalistically attempting to to perform uh, in terms of their behavior and thinking and righteousness, etc. They're all attempting to perform at the level of perfect righteousness and holiness, which is totally impossible. So I think you understand where I'm going with this. Now, so after traveling and speaking all over the world into different Christian groups, very rarely do I encounter a church where the people in the church have a valid and authentic revelation of what the grace of God is really all about. They always talk a phenomenally big talk about how we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But inevitably, when you look at the lives, when you look at the content of the sermon, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you, you, you come away with this very uncomfortable feeling that these people really don't have a revelation of what it means to be saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Tragically, on a very subtle and often very subconscious level, 
the flock is desperately trying to earn their own salvation through legalistic good works. Now, why this is so dangerous and why this is so demonic is that this theological approach to to salvation, attempting to earn your own good works, is a methodology of salvation invented by the devil. And it's designed to get Christian men and women and Christian young people and people who are interested in becoming Christians, it is, it's designed to be a stealth maneuver which coaxes Christians to get on the spiritual treadmill and run their hearts out until they drop dead exhausted. And what they're trying to do by running on this treadmill hour after hour, day after day, what they're trying to do by running on this treadmill is to legalistically keep the law of God in the vain attempt of working out their own salvation through good works, through legalistic efforts. And it always, 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 100% of the time, ends up in those people being burnt out, those people being frustrated beyond belief uh, with their relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, being plunged into the despairing uh, trap of legalism, legalism, which always produces total spiritual burnout. Because, see, the trap of legalism is this. If you're starting out your Christian journey thinking that you can perform your way into the kingdom of heaven, you're, you're damned before you start. Because the minute you, you start that, that program of good works, of legalism, you are 100% guaranteed and 100% destined to implode, to, to run the race, and then you will crash and burn and frustration and torment. Why? 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 Because it's impossible. Nobody in the history of mankind has been able to keep the law of God as a means of acquiring salvation, and you will not be able to do it either, and neither will I. Now, there is only one exception to that law. And that exception is the reality of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Among all the men and women born on the earth with a fallen nature, it was only Jesus Christ who was able to um, enter the walk by faith of salvation. Only Jesus Christ, by faith, was able to receive, by faith, um, holiness, righteousness, and salvation. Because Jesus, why? Because Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so it, the Bible says, in every single sin, no matter how crazy or weird your sins may be, the Bible says Jesus Christ was tempted to sin, just like you and I, in every conceivable way that you and I are tempted to sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was also tempted to sin in every conceivable way. The difference is Jesus Christ was the Son of God and had access to the supernatural power of God. And so Jesus was able to overcome and, and become the perfect Lamb of God without sin. And when he was crucified on our behalf. He defeated sin on a cross, and he broke the power of sin and death over our lives. 
So Jesus Christ, because he was the Son of God, because he was conceived by Mary and God at the same time, it is only Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who was able to, by faith in the power of God, who was able to keep the law of God and not be tempted to succumb to unrighteousness. Only Jesus Christ. Now that's why, that's why ultimately the Bible is called the good news of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the Bible sets you free. Ultimately, the Bible makes you feel ecstatic, happy, joyous, and like, you know, fired into a rocket of celebration. Because you're not saved by neurotic labor or or sociopathic, psychopathic self-introspection. I cannot tell you the amount. You know the guy who played the psychopath in the movie? Oh, I forgot the actor's name. You probably remember the actor's name. The guy who played the psychopath in the movie, um, um, I forgot what what the name of the movie was. It was, I think it was Bruce Dern? Yeah. So in this movie, the movie was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, the great director. And Bruce Dern plays this psychopathic, sociopathic role where he plays, like he has a split personality. He he plays the, the, the manager of a hotel. And then he simultaneously plays his aging mother. And I can't remember whether his aging mother is still alive or or he's just faking it. In any case, it's a sick movie, a very sick movie, because um, the name of the movie is, of course, Psycho. And Bruce Stern, the actor, is a psychopath who, who stabs to death, and I don't want to get into the details, female actress. It's like the first big horror, film, uh, horror movie ever made. But the point was, he had a split personality. He was both this kind proprietor of a motel, and he was also like a serial killer psychopath. Well, you know, you and I are, are, are most likely not psychopaths or sociopaths, but to, to a quantifiable degree, you and I have a split personality because we have the person that we pretend to be, loving, nice, righteous Christian, but deep inside, we all have a fallen human nature, uh, a sinful human nature that, that is capable of great evil. And that, 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 that duality in our nature, that, that, that splinter and conflict in our human nature is the source, by the way, of, I believe, most of the psychological and spiritual problems that people have. Okay, this is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I hope this truth has helped you. This, this truth, when you understand it, by a revelation of the Holy Spirit, will, will break the chains in your life and set you free in your life uh, beyond anything you can possibly imagine and think. Like I said, for decades I have traveled the world and the nation speaking everywhere. And almost everywhere I spoke, I mean, there were, there were notable exceptions, but almost everywhere I spoke, the people, although they talked endlessly about grace, they had, they had given themselves over to legalism. And, and legalism won't save you. Only grace will. Okay, this is Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. So to summarize the basic spiritual principle, which when you embrace this principle, it 
as the direct result of creating a spiritual revolution in your life. And here's how it plays out. Um, the entire mindset of Christianity being a kind of cyclical relationship with God in which the individual practicing Christian is always in a, a state of unworthiness, a state of being condemned, a state of, uh, of uh, interacting with a holy God, and then, of course, not meeting the approval of a holy God, and therefore judgment, chastisement, punishment raises up in an individual's life, creating a cyclical condition. Now, this cyclical condition really is a place of misery. Nobody in their right mind would want to be a Christian. Nobody in their right mind would seek to enter into a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ if they thought that the supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ was built upon the premise of that individual inevitably encountering a series, a long series of failures, of metanoia, missing the mark, of sin, etc. That, that's to set oneself up to enter a, a paradigm of perpetual disappointment. Now, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but what that does is that creates a state of consciousness that produces psychological pain, neurosis, or whatever you want to call it, psychological pain, misery, and, and a constant uncertainty, which is very eroding to the human personality, a constant uncertainty regarding whether or not God loves you, God approves of you, etc., etc. That which I just described to you is not true biblical Christianity. It's a counterfeit of true biblical Christianity. But it is this hybrid form of Christianity which has dominated what we call cultural Christianity, biblical Christianity, and evangelical Christianity. So once again, despite all the statements about how we're saved uh, by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, despite the endless use of the rhetoric in common everyday practice, there is a disturbingly high percentage of so-called born-again, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians who are miserable because they never feel that they're measuring up to God's perfect standard of holiness because they sin, and they sin because they have fallen human natures. And so they enter this cycle of uh, high, exalted experiences where they feel mystically God loves them, God accepts them. And then they plunge into the valley of despair as the cycle works out, and they're bombarded with inner thoughts, which suggests God does not approve of them, that if only they had not sinned, or if only they did not have some secret sin in their life, God uh, would be pleased with them. Now, I, I simply want to finalize this part of the discussion with this statement, because once you have a revelation concerning the question that this statement raises, that spiritual battle will be over, and you will know in your inner man, in your inner woman, you will probably know for the first time in your entire life what it really means to be free in Christ, to be set free in Jesus Christ. And so this is how it plays out. God does not want you in a cyclical pattern of relationship 
where you're always rotating from despair, despondency, self-accusation, uh, self-condemnation, et cetera, et cetera. That is not Christianity. That is a perverse, almost demonic counterfeit of Christianity. What God wants to do, the biblical God, the Creator God, capital C, is He wants to step right square in the middle of your life, and no matter what your myriad struggles with sin and temptation and your fallen nature may be, and and let's not let's not enter in the world of fantasy. Every single person listening to me, including myself, we all have different areas of spiritual weaknesses that that give us a spiritual propensity to be tempted to yield to specific kinds of sin. And then there are other areas where we may be tempted to sin in specific areas. And it's like in those areas, we have a super immune system. We, we don't succumb to, to the vulnerabilities. We don't uh, give over to our fallen human nature. It's like we're super immune in some areas, and then in other areas, we're very vulnerable. Now, if we could grasp that and integrate that truth with its biblical relevance, this is what we would come up with. We would recognize that, number one is, there is no reason whatsoever for any one of us to boast about being victorious spiritually in this area or that area or the other area. That has nothing to do with some inner virtue on our part. That has nothing to do with some kind of uh, achievement of, of a spiritual victory on our part. The fact of the matter is, we have nothing to do with that victory. It's simply a matter of that in the way that God created us, body, soul, and spirit, each one of us have sectors of invincibility, of, of superpowered immune systems, of the innate God-given grace ability to overcome and resist certain sins. It's no big deal, for example, for somebody who's heterosexual in their sexual orientation. It's no big deal for them to resist the temptation of homosexuality or lesbianism or something of that nature. There's no reason for bragging. There's no reason for, for having a morally uh, super spiritual attitude where, where we have the inner thought stream that we think we're better than other people. We think we're better than other people because they seem to have succumbed to these particular sexual sins, like, let's say, uh, homosexuality. Well, there's no, there's no credit due to us. There's no round of applause that, that, that we're worthy of. It's simply a matter of this, that when God created us, a whole series of factors were at work. No, number one is our DNA and genetic code. Number two is our family and biological and psychological environment, our, our role models from our mother and father, and so on and so forth. So, so to be boastful, to be proud about achieving a victory in this area or conquering sin in this area, and then glibly looking down at people who stumble and fall in this area, and, and, and then we privately think to ourselves that we're spiritually superior, morally superior, because we didn't give in to those sins. Well, what's there to boast about? Those sins were never really a temptation for us to begin with, because 
our orientation from birth or whatever, our orientation was to to be heterosexual in the sense of men being attracted to women or women being attracted to to, to, to men. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing worthy of special merit or special applause. You're that's the way you were created. In in, in a similar way, some people have a genetic psychological propensity to gain excessive weight, to become fat in a derogatory uh, sense. So, so if one person doesn't have that genetic vulnerability, and if one person doesn't have uh, an inordinate temptation to overeat, then where's the boasting if they walk around uh, trim and thin and, and at the perfect weight? There is nothing to boast about. They didn't achieve that by some inner virtue or some inner willpower uh, of themselves. They achieved it almost automatically because that's the way they were created on a genetic biological level. And so when they walk around, when these kinds of individuals walk around, there, there, there is no even remote reason for boasting and bragging and, and acting morally and spiritually superior. None whatsoever. You have victories in those areas. You're able to overcome those temptations, not because there's anything uh, inherently uh, more spiritually vital in you. The fact of the matter is you, in terms of your ego, self, and personality, had little or nothing to do with it. You merely rode the train that God gave you in a genetic DNA sense. You see, so again, there's no reason for boasting and bragging and acting superior. Now. Once we understand that, and that is a huge step in the right direction biblically, once we understand that, then we move out of the dimension, and it's a carnal dimension. It's a carnal dimension when believers decide purely out of their own finite minds that they're superior to other believers because they're experiencing a whole series of victories and being more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And all these victories and all these spiritual conquests are merely the byproduct of those believers relating to their God-given DNA or their God-given psychological environment or their God-given metabolism or whatever. There's there's no reason for boasting is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so this, I believe, is, is a biblical precept, and the body of Christ in America and around the world would be wise to take a large spiritual step into a higher level of spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ where 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 there is no more yielding to the sin of bragging and boasting and pride you know believing you're morally and spiritually superior to other Christians based on something that you had nothing to do with is a form of pride and pride comes before a fall so where does god want us to go with all this God wants us to go with all this in the following direction. He wants us to humbly, humbly recognize that anything good really doesn't come from ourselves. Anything good is a production uh, of God's virtue, of God's unmerited favor, of God's grace or God's unmerited favor operating in our lives. So when God's unmerited favor begins to operate in our lives, we see all kinds of tangible expressions of victory. 
there is no justification then for running around and boasting about our alleged uh, spiritual uh, superiority. Our superiority had nothing to do with the victory. We didn't exercise. The other people are not worse than us. They're not guilty of not exercising their willpower to condemn homosexuals and lesbians and and people of different uh, sexual orientations or, or however you want to describe it is absolutely absurd when their willpower or something uh, something that has to do with their uh, alleged spiritual superiority they're alleging you know created the, the dynamic which gave them the power to resist temptation the power to resist temptation did not come from the individual people it came from other factors in their life now once we begin to walk in that understanding that should create the dynamic of a pervasive humility in the body of Christ, where we recognize firmly <clears throat> and perceive ourselves <clears throat> out of the context of that um, we're all sinners saved by grace, and that it is the grace of God, God's unmerited favor, which allows for any of us to experience victory in certain areas. And we would do well. <clears throat> to step into that kind into that kind of understanding. Okay, now I want to go into the final area that I believe w- that I believe will produce victory. It will produce a sustainable biblical third great awakening and it will produce a sustainable biblical um, revival. And by sustainable I'm not talking about some United Nations term for, you know, how many people the earth can feed. I'm talking about sustainable in the sense of the fact that God has given us all of the spiritual resources we need in abundance to be victorious in every area of life that he calls us to be victorious. And that's what I'm talking about. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Spend a couple of minutes. Ask God how you can partner with this ministry. Partner with me partner with those people who are involved in our ministry. Pray for all of us. Pray for this ministry. And then number two, as the Lord leads you, ask God what you can donate in terms of your contributions and what you can donate in terms of your uh, uh, contributions, donations, and things of that nature. It requires um, finances to win a spiritual war. So I'm asking you to prayerfully search your heart and spend some time listening to the Lord. It doesn't have to be done all at one moment. It can be done sporadically through the day and the evening. But if but if at some point during the day and the evening, the Lord puts it on your heart that, yes, Paul McGuire, God has spoken to Paul McGuire to whatever degree. And yes, it is vitally important that we win the battle for the hearts and minds of mankind. And so if the Lord surfaces somewhere inside of you uh, a creative thought, uh, a belief, uh, a, a vision, an idea that what we're doing through this ministry, changing hearts and minds according to the Word of God, that, that if the Lord brings that to the surface of your mind, and you have like an epiphany, like, like, like the Lord speaks to you through his still small voice, and you have a, a recognition of how vitally important, how vitally imperative it is that each one of us contribute something 
in terms of money, finances, prayer, signing up for our e-blast list, signing up for our social media pages. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, I'm challenging you to simply obey whatever the Lord tells you to do. Now, I never talk about the following. Never. I can't remember talk, talking about it. But, and I probably never would have. But I, but I think it's important to, for me to share this with you, to give you a clearer understanding. First of all, the purpose of Paradise Mountain Church is not to make money. The purpose of Paul McGuire Ministries is not to make money. It's important to raise money because it costs money, and we have to spend money to acquire social media outlets, technology, do mailings, and, and to run the operation. Okay, It costs money to run the operation. So the more money we can raise, the better the equipment we can get, the greater and more effective our outreach will be, the faster and more powerfully. Think of the, the money you invest in this ministry as as money is is, is a tangible economic um, product, which when you donate it into this ministry, it literally can be transformed into power to change people's lives, to save souls, and to deprogram people from spiritual deception. That's literally what it does. So I need your help in doing this. Now, this is what I don't normally share, but I'm going to share it briefly. <clears throat> you know, many times, especially uh, starting about four years ago when the COVID thing began to ramp up, we, like <clears throat> most ministries and, and organizations, <clears throat> were uh, impacted. And uh, because people, people, the people were impacted. And so I felt that as long as I'm alive on earth, I need to be busy about fulfilling the assignment that God has given me to accomplish while I'm here on earth. God has spent a lifetime training me, preparing me, exposing me to some of the greatest Christian leaders and other leaders in the world. I, I have an unorthodox but priceless education working with, being friends with some of the most influential Christian leaders in the world who discipled me personally. God, I believe God has made a huge investment in my life in terms of evangelism and, and related things. And I also believe that God has called me supernaturally to do what I'm doing. And so I feel a sense of holy accountability and holy responsibility to fulfill the mission that God has called me to fulfill. And it's not about a matter of boasting and bragging, but the fact of the matter is, because of where we are in history, there is an ever-decreasing number of people who currently have the training, the history, the knowledge, the, the biblical growth, the spiritual life, none of which I can brag about because it was God that set it up. It was God that brought it into my life. But there are very few people who have been the beneficiaries of that high-level investment that I believe was made by God into my life via these, I'm not going to drop names, I could, via these major Christian leaders. And what I want to say to you is this, the severity of the battle for America is, is in the ultra-crisis mode. And there's not a day or an hour that goes by where I don't feel the weight of the burden of the Holy Spirit for me, as an act of my will and relying on the power of God, I believe with all my heart that I am being called by God to move forward and accomplish the mission he has called me to do 
a mission, by the way, that I have been committed to for well over 50 years of my life. And without one tiny quotient of bragging, <clears throat> uh, the obedience by God's grace has resulted in literally and factually at the very minimum, tens of millions, and in some cases, probably hundreds of millions of people uh, over a 50-year period who have been reached by our communications, our books, our radio, our TV, our films, our conferences, our church service meetings. All of that combined has created an effective national outreach and global outreach that has impacted millions of people for the gospel of Jesus Christ has imparted millions of people with a biblical worldview, and has cast the net, since we are fishers of men, and has cast the net to bring in a last day's soul harvest. That, I must tell you, the, despite the fact that they've been rigging me for a long time, and the reason they rig me is because of our effectiveness. But the one thing about our ministry that, that, that the enemies of this ministry know, on the highest levels, is that we are a trend-setting ministry. In other words, the ideas, the plans, the philosophy, the ideology, the theology, things of that nature that emanate from this program uh, spread to countless millions of people across the world. And the only reason that happens, because we have artificial intelligence rigging us, we have uh, bots that go after us, we have people... I, I'm not going to even dignify naming the attacks and the kind of attacks that we get on a regular basis. Uh, all I want to say to you is that we are charged by God to move forward, and that's what we're doing. And the, the sense of urgency is full speed ahead, full speed ahead. Why? Because time is running out in the spiritual battle. And so I am committed to giving this everything I can, every ounce of energy that I can, until the Lord takes me home. And I've had this conversation with the Lord. You know, like the Apostle Paul said, part of me would like to be taken home and go to heaven. But that is not my prayer to the Lord. I have said to the Lord, Lord, I would rather endure pain and suffering. And, and I would prefer, in fact, I said, Lord, I'm asking you to keep me here in the earth and on the earth. Uh, and don't take me home to heaven until I have fully completed my mission. And that mission includes its impact on family members, loved ones, the body of Christ, individual Christians like you listening. I have asked the Lord specifically not to take me home until I have fulfilled the entire mission that he has called me to. Even if that means that I have to endure and suffer personal pain, and all kinds of stuff. Because when push comes to shove, what I said to the Lord is, Lord, the most important thing is, is that I am faithful to do all that you command me to do. And that I do it with a diligence, with wisdom, and a fierceness, like, like a warrior. You know, like, Lord, give me the tenacity and the fortitude of somebody like King David. Now, I don't want to chase the women like King David. I want the tenacity and fortitude of King David so that we can turn the tide of this spiritual battle. I, I want you to know this isn't bragging. This is truth, and God is will bear witness to what I'm saying. My conscience is clean before you as I speak these words. 
And what I say to the Lord all the time is this, Lord, do not take me home until I have completed my mission. And the Lord and I have had long conversations as to what the proper definition of finishing the mission precisely entails. I don't want the the first. Uh, I don't want the first exit strategy. I, 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 the love of God, my selfishness does, but the love of God operating in me constrains and groans within me in intercessory prayer to give me the strength to en- endure the battle and occupy the land until He comes. And I pray that the Lord would impart that in you. Now I want to take you up to the final step in today's program. I I am going to share with you, and I've talked about it in the fundraising letter. You want the fundraising letter? Send us a check or something, or just send us an envelope with a prayer request or whatever, and we'll try to put you on the fundraising letter. And um, what I've said to the Lord is, um, you know, the Lord has given me a very unique training program. Unique perspective, just like he has many of you. You know, this is not bragging about Paul McGuire's training and, you know, everything God did for Paul McGuire. I promise you that every single one of you listening, it may be a training program in completely different fields and disciplines than I had, but I promise you, and it has nothing at at all, uh, whether to do or not. You know, if you graduated college or you didn't graduate college or you got a Ph.D. or you didn't get a Ph.D. What I'm talking about now to you is independent to those to those uh, educational programs. Every single one of you listening to me now, God has spent a lifetime uniquely equipping you, uniquely molding and tailoring you to fulfill a specific mission and a specific calling. And he's already gifted you to do that. So only you and nobody else has been given the meticulous training program that you have already received. You, it, it has been built into you. In fact, it began when God created your DNA and your genetic code. And so you are fully equipped, fully loaded. You already have the gifts of the Holy Spirit inside you. You already have the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you, uh, different anointings, different natural talents and abilities, and God has equipped all of that inside of you. So that, but now He's expecting you to cooperate with Him, absolutely, and He's expecting you to partner with Him in the further development, the further growth, the further amplification of all those gifts, talents, and abilities. In other words, you just don't get the gifts, talents, and abilities and then sit in the back of the house in the outhouse. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. God gives you a full download of all this stuff. And then moment by moment, day by day, as time goes by, the Lord incrementally will open up doors in your life, open up opportunities in your life for you to grow and amplify all the sectors and areas and categories of talent, ability, knowledge, expertise that he has uniquely given you. Uniquely. And so I, I'm telling you this with all my heart, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit inside me. Inside me. 
and I can sense a quickening of the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I speak. And when that happens, what that inevitably means is that there is a whole lot of people out there listening right now to the Paul McGuire Report. And what I'm about to, to say is anointed specifically for you to hear. It's tailored specifically for you to hear. And the Lord wants you to know that he has created you and equipped you for a special mission, for a special destiny that nobody else can, can accomplish. And so you've been equipped, you've been trained, uh, you've been developed, and most likely it's been in different areas than the areas that, that I was trained in, because we all have different callings. And God has compiled and built upon that year after year during your entire life so that you have developed far more than you know. I'm trying to say this as succinctly as possible. Right now, wherever you're listening to me, Paul McGuire, on the Paul McGuire Report, whether it's live, recorded, whatever state you're in, whatever nation you're in, it's not an accident that you're listening to me talk. There is something in what I'm saying, there is something in the message that you're receiving that was custom and tailor-made specifically to release your destiny and to release your calling. And so not only is there the intellectual, theological, philosophical, and practical outlines of knowledge, the organizational lines of knowledge, but there is on top of that the words that I'm speaking into your life are literally supercharged with the dunamis power of God, which means the dynamite explosive power of God. So the very words that I'm communicating to you in are infused with the supernatural energy of the Holy Spirit. The very words that I'm speaking to you are clothed with power from on high so that they, they have been infused with supernatural energy, supernatural power on a very high level, so that when you hear them and you process them in your mind, they have been supercharged. They have been energized on a multidimensional level. So you are processing what I'm saying on a multidimensional level. Part of you is processing what I'm saying on an intellectual practical, managerial, administrative, perhaps economic, perhaps a specific area of study level. Others are, are, are processing what I'm saying on, on a multitude of interdimensional levels. And so some of the different dimensional levels are some of the different tiers of knowledge, tiers in the sense of T-I-E-R-S, tiers of knowledge or levels of knowledge are being imparted to you. But the all-important factor for you to recognize is you're not just assimilating or receiving this as data or information, as helpful as that may be. Because we live in a multidimensional universe, the message you're receiving regarding your calling is a multidimensional message which is resonating an electromagnetic frequency uh, that is spread out numerically in, in a, relatively, a relatively wide range of bandwidth. So when you hear with your ears, when you see with your eyes, when you experience with me, 
the the knowledge and the learning what is happening simultaneously is there is an impartation of the supernatural of god of the supernatural power of god coming out of my life into your life and that is allowing so so what how what happens is that the actual rivers of living water the holy spirit are literally flowing out of my inner man and literally flowing out of my inner man into your inner man and and into your uh, spiritual woman. There's an outflowing of the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water, the life force of God flowing out of my inmost being, which is is, uh, the belly area. Now, modern science has told us that our brain um, is basically located in three different areas in our body. So every one of us has a brain, but the brain uh, takes up residence in three different areas in our body. A, a large part of our brain functions in the area um, called the cranium, and a large part of our brain functions uh, in that biological material that is underneath our skull and between our two ears. Okay. Then another part of our brain resides in the heart area, which is the the pumping heart, the blood vessels going in and out of the pumping heart, and all of the neurological uh, wiring, the biochemical uh, productions that occur in the um, heart area of our body. And then finally, um, we have the the brain is in a three-part area. The brain between the ears, the brain in the heart area, and then the third part of the brain is, is the brain that exists in the stomach area of our body. This is a scientific, biological, neurological fact. It's not a theory. It's not my opinion or somebody else's opinion. It's a cutting-edge scientific fact. So when you are using your brain fully at 100%, or if I'm using my brain fully at 100%, our brains are operating in three different categories in our body. The first part of our brain is operating uh, underneath our skull and between our ears. The second part of our brain is operating in the heart area and all the blood vessels and arteries that go to and from the heart area and the pulmonary area. And then finally, the third part of our brain is situated in the stomach area of our body. And the stomach area of our body is where the third part of the brain is situated. And there's all kinds of connecting tissue neurological especially, there's the production of a vast array of positive and negative biochemicals, and the production center for this neurological warehouse of the third part of the brain is in the stomach area. Now, why knowledge is power and why it's essential for you to know this is that if you're going to be talking about operating your brain at its maximum potential, if you're going to be talking about how you can function at peak performance. If you're going to be talking about how to um, uh, 
achieve everything that God created you to achieve, then obviously it's incumbent upon you to to um, fully utilize your three-part brain. So, generally speaking, the first part of the brain is between the ears and underneath the skull. That's where you do, there's two hemispheres of brains there. There's the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. But that's the brain which does a lot of analytical, logical, rational, creative thinking, dream state thinking, and a whole, a whole spectrum of thinking and thoughts and power and the production of uh, very powerful um, chemicals, the production of very powerful peak performance com- uh, chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, the stomach area of the brain. So, so let me zoom in with you a little closer because I want you to experience breakthrough. The reason people have migraines, migraines, it could be sinus, fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. There's a whole spectrum of what we could call an interfacing between you and I and the multidimensional reality that we live in that functions when we're deliberately operating our consciousness from the the brain that is situated between the ears and in your skull area. That is a massively powerful supercomputer that God gives you to navigate through this multidimensional world. Now, the heart area of brain. Notice that your heart is able to process highly sophisticated spiritual information, highly sophisticated emotional information, highly sophisticated vibrational information, highly sophisticated intuitive information that is all situated in the heart area of the brain. Your heart brain has software downloaded into it by God that can achieve all kinds of high-level performance, access all kinds of high-level talents that your brain area brain cannot. It's a very, very powerful asset. And if you learn how to use it, if you learn how to be sensitive to it, if you learn how to turn on the switches which open up not only the analytical part of the brain, but marry the analytical part of the brain with the intuitive part of the brain, and you have something beyond a spiritual weapon. It's in the area of your biology and your psychology, and that is your brain now has the power to to perceive and retrieve information, whether it's visual information, auditory information, or information that is extremely powerful that presents itself to you in the form of something like you had a deep knowing that you had to do this or you had to do that. The information, a decision was made in you, but the decision was made in the part of your brain, not necessarily ascribed to uh, uh, between the ears, but the, the decision was made in the part of the brain 
situated in the heart area of the brain. And so the decision, the the knowing uh, of what to do beyond knowing, when you experience a knowing beyond knowing concerning what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to hire, who you're supposed to marry, whether or not you're supposed to move or not, when you experience a transcendental knowing beyond knowing state of consciousness, that is an indication that that heart part of the brain has been activated along with all the neurological chemicals that go with it. We're just, we're just touching on this. You know, our military and other militaries have super soldier programs. I am absolutely convinced that in the peaceful and law-abiding, loving and spiritual armies of God, and, and when I described it that way, do not be so naive as to assume that I was describing a weak, feminized, or passive spiritual army. Make no mistake about it. The armies of God, along with the technology of God, are the fiercest armies, the most powerful, the most resolute armies of any physical or spiritual army that exists or has traveled through planet Earth. You need to to receive that, fix that in your mind, and operate on the basis of that platform. Now remember, with an act of your will, and through disciplining your mind, you can manage and access literal states of consciousness, which will enhance your brain performance, your, your peak performance, and other levels of performance. It all can be substantially enhanced by you activating a mixture of, or on a singular basis, certain neurological biochemicals like the, the, the kind of tranquilizing serotonin or the dopamine, which help, he, helps you do the heavy lifting and willpower decisions. Dopamine also can give you sexual desire and physical strength. And then you have the endogenous opiates, which are the neurological God-given painkillers. And that, that though the release, you can flood your body, brain, and soul with endogenous opiates, which have basically the same power as chemical opiates, but you're in control of them. And dopamine uh, can help you think clearly. It can help you lose weight. Dopamine can activate um, biological chemicals that cause you to lose weight and uh, increase testosterone, testosterone and reverse engineer the aging process. Now, endogenous opiates, depending upon what electromagnetic frequencies you're receiving into your body, soul, or spirit, certain specific numerical uh, frequencies, okay, can produce, like beta frequencies, can produce endogenous opiates. So if you hear music or sound that is operating within the framework of a beta frequency, you, you are producing endogenous opiates, which is a natural biochemical painkiller. Also can help concentration and memory. I mean, God has given you so many sources of power if you will first acquire knowledge, and knowledge is power. Now, for today, the final, the final point. You know, I talked about 
not laboring under an oppressive cloud of oppression. And I talked about the necessity of, you know, operating in the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. It's no small thing when you read God's Word and God tells you, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Or when you read God's Word and it says something like, the joy of the Lord is our strength. God didn't add that into his word because he had nothing better to say. God was was highlighting uh, on the pages of the Bible, God was highlighting two of the most powerful principles in the Bible, that if you will program your mind through discipline to, to transform your consciousness, to operate within a newly produced consciousness of... Um, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you apply that to real-world battles, when you apply that to the power and the authority that God has given you over your three-part brain, you can activate at a moment's notice by turning the on switch on different parts of your brain. You can flood your body, soul, and spirit with things like serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, uh, endogenous opiates, and other powerful hormones and powerful drug-like organic biochemicals. And literally, Olympic athletes know how to do this. Super soldiers know how to do this. High-paid executives who have been coached know how to do it. It's time for God's people to, to throw away their prejudice against knowledge, because knowledge, listen to me, please, this is, this is like home run time. The bases are loaded, and it's home run time. Knowledge is power. When you download the knowledge of God, that is quantifiably a supernatural download from the throne room of God. God will download into your brain, into your consciousness, into your mind, and into your awareness. God will download into your inner man or woman the ability to achieve peak performance at a moment's notice, God will download into your being super energy, super immune system by activating peak performance, by boosting your immune system. You can enter the highest states of supernatural creativity and the highest states of supernatural performance by using the mind of Christ and turning on the switch which enables you to body, soul, and and spirit, in other words, the real you and your entire personality, you can move, listen to me, I've done this many times, you can do it, it's simple to do, this is a no-brainer. Any moment of the day that you choose to, you can turn on a little switch in your body, soul, and spirit, and you can turn on your ability to walk into and move into and act in the flow state. And when you're in the flow state, it increases your productivity, your creativity, your longevity, and all kinds of performance uh, management. It increases your performance by like a thousand percent. When you enter the flow state, you're like psychologically invincible. Anything that you might do from an ordinary state of consciousness, all of a sudden, becomes enhanced. You enter a flow state, 
and I don't mean this with any negative connotations, but when you enter the flow state, you're like, what happens when you enter the flow state? See, this is where not, there's a lot of very smart, motivated, motivational people, motivational psychologists, uh, neuropsychiatrists, who, who are experts in, a, in, in reality minus God. I am talking to you about breakthrough discoveries. And you can figure out who the researcher was. But I'm talking to you about breakthrough discoveries, which will supernaturally enable you to live and enter a flow state, to live and enter what is called the zone. When you enter the flow state or enter the zone, all of a sudden, what you used to previously do in terms of blood, sweat, tears, and struggle that you would have to exert in order to achieve a certain level of creativity, productivity, and performance. When you enter the zone or you enter the flow state, it's like you're surfing in the most intense uh, surfing environment regarding the ocean you can possibly imagine. But all of a sudden, you're not, you are no longer struggling to balance on your surfboard when you're in the zone or you're in the flow state. What happens is that you get transformed when you stand on your surfboard and you enter the flow state or you enter the zone. You're not struggling to keep your balance and, and, and to, you know, freaking out about winning the competition. You transcend that fear-based consciousness. And when you transcend that fear-based consciousness, you step right into a transcendental state of consciousness where you enter a flow state or you enter the zone. And it's like you are supernatural. And you're like a supernatural being riding that surfboard. And I'm telling you, from 50 years of teaching and studying the Bible, when I read the story of David dropping Goliath, I'm telling you, he was in a flow state and he was in the zone. When, when I read the story of Joseph getting promoted to being uh, the Pharaoh's right-hand man, when he made his pitch or presentation to Pharaoh, he was in the zone. He was in a flow state. He was flying, and the promotion just, the doors flew open in terms of promotion. Please, my final words to you. Go to paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. I need you to, you know what I need you to do? I need you to pray to God and ask him how you can partner with this ministry, partner with me. But I'm asking you to pray, but this time, I want to add something to it. I'm asking you to pray for me, the ministry, the church. But pray, discover what happens to your prayers when you are not only praying, but you've entered the zone or you've entered the flow state. And it's from the flow state or the zone that you're praying. And then you, I dare you to allow God to speak to you regarding how much to give or contribute financially or what kind of intercessory prayer to be involved in, or, or help us promote uh, the ministry by doing end run around the rigging. I'm challenging you, while I'm in the flow state, 
or the zone. I'm challenging you to pray to God while you're in the flow state or you're in the zone and wait, stay in the zone or the flow state and wait until God answers you and tells you what to give and what to do while you're in the flow state. Now, when you learn how to do that, and it's not new age, it's not magic, I think I'll do a follow-up show to prove to you the biblical nature of it, you'll discover that your prayers will be answered more powerfully. You will hear the voice of God telling you to do things that require, require a boldness and a faith that only entering the flow state of the zone can produce. And when God speaks to you while you're in the flow state of the zone, because remember something, God 24-7 is always in the flow state. He's always in the zone. And when God's people learn how to walk with under power from on high, or are clothed with power from on high, we will rock this nation because we will no longer be mere Christians. We will be Christians operating at our maximum God-given potential. God bless you. May the power of the Lord anoint you. May God clear up any questions you have regarding true biblical spirituality and legitimately learning how to run and operating your brain at peak performance, at a flow state, at or in the zone. May the Lord clear up any ambiguities or possible questions you might have. May he give you intellectual, but most of all, thorough biblical understanding into these deep truths. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Mm-hmm.